1: Hello, welcome to the New Dimensions Café. I'm Justine willis toms and today I'm speaking with Buddhist teacher and author Elizabeth Mattis Namgal. She is a retreat master and also the author of The Logic of Faith, A Buddhist Approach to Finding Certainty Beyond Belief and Doubt. Elizabeth, welcome to the New Dimensions Café. Thank you, Justine. Happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. Faith, faith. Mostly I think of it in religious terms, but you're going beyond that. You're looking at it in a more expansive way, I believe. Can you say something about that? I
2: think I found myself looking at faith in the context of the human condition in this book. I know a lot of people associate faith with religion or Christianity, Not that that's a bad word either, you know, but I think people have a lot of resistance toward the word faith. But if you go ask around, many people have varied ideas of what faith is. Like if you look in the dictionary, you see conviction and confidence, but you also see fundamentalism and uh, dogma, doctrine. What I think
1: of, what that reminds me of, Elizabeth, is if I have faith in something, I'm no longer questioning it. Oh, okay, I figured that out. I don't have to think about it anymore. Well, yeah, that's one way you could look at faith,
2: most certainly. And I think that's why people have trouble with it, because to them, faith means you have to abdicate your discerning intelligence. And I wonder about that, because if you look at the word faith, faith means that you don't know. If you knew, you wouldn't need faith. But in fact, that's our condition as human beings or as animals. We we live in a world in which we don't know what's going to happen next. We never see the entire picture. We don't see all the causes and conditions that cause one thing to happen. I think it's interesting. We're very dependent on other people as well. So we have to have faith. Like this great teacher, Tilly Noborum, she said, cows have faith in grass. And I find that a very profound statement. It's like if you live in a world in which you depend, you have to
1: have faith. Well, I'm just thinking driving here. I had faith that those cars next to me were going to stay in their lane. Mm-hmm. That's a kind of faith. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you have to stay alert because they often don't stay in their own lane. That's you right. You know, it's,
2: it's really all based on agreements that we've made to each other.
1: You couple faith with logic. Yeah. I know that you talk something about analytical meditation and I go what that feels so dry but you talk about to analyze something is to loosen it. Yeah, well the
2: meaning of the Greek root for analyze to break apart and open to open something to loosen something. So, you know, here, you know, you're you're pointing to kind of the the methodology or the means the type of inquiry I'm using to open up the word faith. Because here we start with one word. We assume we know the meaning. But in fact, language is not a determinate structure. It means different things to different people in different contexts, and it's always changing, which is what's so beautiful about language. So I use the word faith and people get turned off. I find it interesting because I think, wait, aren't you a little bit more curious what this might mean? What does faith mean to you? Is it possible to live in the world without faith, and so on. And and this has become a very deep question. I guess you can say it's a spiritual question, but it's very practical, too. Because, you know, we do hold a lot of beliefs. And when the beliefs don't hold up the way we want them to, we fall into doubt. You know they're two extremes, but what does it mean then to see that we actually can't know anything in a determinate way, and yet we still have to discern and navigate the world with some kind of savvy and intelligence? That's the
1: paradox of it.
2: Well, this is what I examine in the book.
1: Yeah, and you use the phrase. You said, "What does it mean to faith?" Mm -hmm. And you use faith as a verb there. Yeah. What does it mean to to faith? And you use the word faithing. Please go further with that.
2: Often we think of faith as something we either have or we don't have. But from my own experience, it has something to do with understanding who we are in the context of relationship, like looking really realistically at our condition as human beings. I don't mean condition as like we're sick, but it's like, what do we have to work with? Because we live in a world where it all depends. Everything is influencing everything else. And we might think we know something at one moment, but everything is always interrupting and influencing. And so it's always changing. And life as we know it is very dynamic, you know. So I'm trying to look at that kind of nature and how we navigate that and how actually that releases our intelligence and releases our ability to respond to the world with more intelligence.
1: So Elizabeth, does, does that mean that we have nothing solid to stand on, to kind of hold us steady in yeah. this chaotic, complex world well, the world of relationship is actually, in a certain way, very reliable.
2: If you plant an apple seed, you get an apple shoot that turns into an apple tree and produces apples. Of course, it all depends on the environmental causes, the rain and the water and the you know nutrient soil and all of that kind of thing. But in a way, the world of contingent relationships is very powerful. And no matter, very
1: steady in some way. In certain it's, ways it's, it is. We have yeah. We can count on it, that it's all relational. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Well, not (laughs)
2: completely, because we actually don't know where it's going to go. We don't know (sighs) when we're going to die. We don't know what's going to happen next. And we can't even look at an object and assume that we know what it is in a determinate way. It all depends on how we see it. It all depends on the
1: circumstances and the time and the context. You can see that I keep wanting to go to certainty. I can feel my tendency to want to go to something I can depend on to stay the same. Yeah, well, realistically, if if we all look at our life in a very realistic way, we see that
2: that's not the case. And yet we do see some kind of consistency and patterning. And we can read that and respond to that. And there's constant opportunity to... Uh, 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 relate with other people with deep sanity and clarity and care. And we also see when we extend love and care to others, the world gets better and it changes the atmosphere of our mind. It's like playful. The world of relationship is a playful place where we don't have total command and yet everything we do matters. And how do we play with the nature of that? How do we understand that? Well, that's our work as a human being. It's like, how can we be the best of who we are? How could we really make a difference? But look realistically at the world, because if we don't look at the fact that we can't know everything, we might think we could just step into a situation and fix it. And the world doesn't lend itself to being known or being fixed in a determinate, static way. And yet we can see as we move throughout the world that our actions matter. They matter to us and they matter to others. And so how are we going to play the game? How are we going to work with this interdependent phenomena? To me, that has a lot to do with faithing. And, you know, that's how I talk about it
1: in the book anyways. So you're saying to go ahead and have an action that feels right and good, but not to hold on to the need for a certain outcome, because it may surprise us. So to stay curious. Yeah, like, what would happen if we knew everything in advance? There'd be no
2: surprise. You know, there would be no, like, learning. There would be no liveliness juice to our life. You know, even experiences that are painful can open up if, our, if we take everything as our teacher, it can open up into the most extraordinary learning experiences like what's bad, what's good. And we have this idea that like beauty and good things are what we want and things that are kind of unwanted or rough experiences, we want to get rid of them. But in fact, you know, beauty can be quite painful when we get attached to it. And rough unwanted experiences can open us up into a whole new way of looking at things. So we have all this tightness and preferences. But we really don't have control because everything is moving and the world can't act according to our preferences. You know, that's not how life is. Like you go into the corner working class bar, they know that in there. You know, life is kind of how life is and you, you work with it. You know, it can't be how you just want it to be. And if certain causes and conditions are there for something to arise, it will arise. And if the causes and
1: conditions are not there, it won't. And in knowing that, it doesn't stop us from making our contribution. Yeah, because life is
2: right in front of you all the time, and it's there for you to kind of play there with it and to make decisions that are beneficial for yourself and others. And particularly if you're really interested in being happy and wakeful, joyful in your life, then you have to start examining what causes and conditions you can create for that to happen. And personally, my understanding is that if you're generous and giving and you're not just thinking about yourself and fixated on yourself, you will make the choices to be kind and generous with others and do meaningful work as a way to create joy in the world and create
1: love in yourself and open up your heart because that's the most joyful way of being, you know, in life. I remember hearing the Dalai Lama say that one time when we were in Costa Rica, and that was the first interview that we ever did with him was mm. was there in Costa Rica. And he was asked a question, why does he go around happy all the time? And they pointed out, you know, some of the travesty that was going on and that continues to go on in Tibet. And he said, well, I get up every morning and, and it makes me feel better to be happy, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but he said, I I get up and I do what I do, not because I know how it's going to turn out. Mm -hmm. I do what I do because it's a right and good thing for me to do. Yeah. Well, he's somebody
2: who knows the causes and conditions for happiness, true, deep, unconditional happiness. You know, that's his path. He talks about it all the time. He practices the Bodhisattva path, and that's the commitment to serve others, and, you know, cultivate kindness and love for other beings. So, of course, he's going to be happy (laughs) because he's looking at, you know, in this world where everything leans or where it all depends, then you have the kind of access to playing with the nature in a way that brings your actions together with your intentions. He knows that. Because he looks deeply into the nature of cause and effect. All conscious creatures want happiness. So how does that come about? It doesn't come about through, you know, violence and selfishness and self-aggrandizement and you know, all of that. There are certain causes and conditions that seem to work to create meaningfulness and joy for oneself and others. Exactly.
1: That brings us to grace. Mm-hmm. And I'd love for you to just say what you can about grace in our lives. Yeah. Well, I think grace is something we really
2: understand just in our world of relationship. For example, if you go to someone's house and they invite you in and they're paying attention to, you know, they would like to offer you a nice place to sit or, you know, offer you some food or something to drink, they are gracious. They are not just focusing on themselves, but they're seeing themselves in relationship. That's what we call gracious. Mm -hmm. Or if you see like a dancer move across the dance floor, you know, she has a relationship to her physical body and how it moves in the space. So there's a sense of relationship there. Like grace isn't something that happens in a vacuum. Grace happens by understanding who we are in relationship to the world around us. So, for example, we often think, who am I? We're always trying to figure out who we are. and We don't like who we are. We want to be someone else or we're not satisfied or we'll never find who we are because it all depends. <laughs> You know, we're, for our son, we're a mother. For our mother, we're a daughter. You know, in, we're a patient in an office with a doctor, what have you. It all depends. So we'll never actually find a singular, permanent, or autonomous thing. We find self. But what we can see when we look at the nature of contingent relationships is that we're not in total command we only ever see a little piece of things. You know, we see patterns, we read patterns, and yet everything we do matters, and that's who we are. It's not a thing. You can grasp at, but we can know who we are in relationship, and that's, to me,
1: what grace means. Oh, beautiful. I know we could talk more and more and more to (laughs) expand this, but I encourage people to pick up your book and really delve into it and go to the website because I know that you have many meditations there and that people can really expand in that way. You've offered so much. I want to thank you for being part of the New Dimensions Cafe today, Elizabeth. Thank you so much, Justine, for everything you do. You're amazing. Thank you. I've been speaking with Buddhist teacher and retreat master, Elizabeth Mattis Namgal. She's the author of The Logic of Faith, a Buddhist Approach to Finding Certainty Beyond Belief and Doubt. And if you want to know more about her and all of her work, you can go to her website, com, And I'll spell her name, her middle name, Mattis, M-A-T-T-I-S, the last name, Namgal, N-A-M-G-Y-E-L, com, Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms.